Well, you're a friendly crowd today. Good to have you here at Springbrook. Your guests, it's especially good to have you. I hope you enjoy your time and stop by our guest center. We're starting a new series today entitled Fearless, how to break free from the fears that we so commonly have. I want to point out some unusual fears first. How about palatophobia? Fear of baldness and bald people, or aerophobia, fear of drafts, porphorophobia, fear of the color purple. Oh, that's got to be rough. Uh, Chatophobia, fear of hairy people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Levophobia, the fear of objects on the left side of your body, and then dextrophobia is fear of objects on the right side of your body. Aurorophobia, fear of the northern lights. Basilophobia, fear of being seated. That's got to really be rough. Um, Dantophobia, fear of teeth. Graphophobia, fear of writing in public. And finally, phobiophobia, the fear of being afraid. That one's going to really get you locked up. There are so many unique fears that people have. They asked uh, 500 people to write down all of their fears, and then they compiled all the information together. And with those people's fears, they came up with 7,000 unique fears. That's like seven per person. Fear is just a regular daily part of our lives. And again, we want certainty, but we don't have it in this life. The question is, how are you going to respond to that? Here are some of the messages today, breaking free from fear, facing financial fears, overcoming the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, and how to face your future. I want to take you to a real exciting story in the Old Testament that you're familiar with. It's about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. You remember that the Egyptians had the Israelites as slaves, for 400 years, and then Moses was assigned to go and free them. Let my people go. And then after 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally said, oh, okay, you can go. Anybody watch the Ten Commandments this Easter? Oh, isn't that a great movie? Uh, you watch it if you haven't. So uh, basically they, they had been freed, and they ended up on this particular geographic area. Got the mountains in the back, and then uh, you have this huge beach, and then a small opening from where uh, the Egyptians would come from. So it was five days in to their new journey. And you can imagine how excited they were. They couldn't believe that they were actually free, that they had their own nation. This is what they always dreamed of, that they were going to the promised land. They were excited, but all that changed so quickly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by by Hitheroth and in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. 
And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So again, this is where they think it took place. And it's interesting, it's a pretty small uh, entryway there coming, again, from uh, the right side. But that's where the Egyptians were coming from. And they had this huge encampment. Uh, we were, they were just spending time getting ready for the next step. And all of a sudden, who shows up? And when you look at this picture, there's a problem. I mean, you have mountain ranges all over the place, and then you've got the Red Sea. What's the problem? There's no, there's no way to get out if, if the Egyptians are coming after you. And they were greatly afraid. In the original language, it means they were terrified. Not like a haunted house, but like somebody has a gun to your head. They thought that it was over. They knew this was all too good to be true. And they immediately were overcome by fear. I want to give you a little science lesson here. The amygdala, and there's one on each side of our brains. Uh, the amygdala is where we experience fear. It's a little part of the brain, but it's that fight or flight response that we have in certain situations. And, and God gave it to us. But what happens is, is when the amygdala goes off, it's like a fire alarm in your head. You're all stressed out, you're tense, you're anxious, and you're saying, I've got to do something here. I'm out of fight or flight. And the problem is, is that uh, we can get stuck in that fear, rotation, uh, going over and over again. And what a lot of people experience is the amygdala is always going off. It's like this fire alarm, and therefore it's very difficult to live life, right, when you're just always haunted by whatever fears you might have. But more people than you think struggle with that. In fact, it's our greatest fear, (laughs) the fear that we have, the amygdala. So keep that in mind. Uh, fear causes us to be skeptical. Let's take a look at the Scriptures. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Wow. <laughs> Moses was a hero, right? He was their Savior, and in a moment, a blink of the eye, he goes to a zero, hero to zero. They just all turned on him. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It's interesting, as you study conflict, let's say marital conflict, fear usually is the issue. But the way that we manifest that fear is different the first thing we do is we have to blame somebody, right? Because we don't want to blame ourselves because we're not to blame. (laughs) Little do we know. Yeah, so we blame somebody. So you blame your spouse for what's going wrong. And you're saying, it's all you. You're the one who caused this problem. But it's important to understand that in the midst of that relationship, there's fear there. And they're choosing to respond in a certain way. But you've got to remember that there's always some underlying fear that 
they have. I mean, wives, maybe you say, my husband is so stubborn. I tell you what, he's so bullheaded. I want to improve his life. (laughs) I want new things to happen. And he just will not have it. Well, that's a sign of fear in your husband that he doesn't want to change his life. (laughs) He's comfortable in the way that he is. And that's why he's stubborn. So again, you need to look at all the conflicts you have, problems, and say, where is the fear? What is the core fear that I have in relationship to this? So it causes us to be skeptical. It also causes us to be selfish, to be selfish. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? The people of Israel said, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So they're saying, hey, we told you we didn't want to go. You didn't listen to us. Finally, you got us out here, and now we're sitting ducks for the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What are they saying? Ah, oh, you remember the good old day when we were slaves? <laughs> oh, man, that was great when we were oppressed and and beaten and mistreated and hard labor all day long. The food was whatever, but at least it was food. We had it. We want to go back there. And you're thinking, what? What are they thinking? Well, they're, again, paralyzed by fear. And this is something you need to understand. Sometimes you have a child, uh, you have a spouse, you have a friend who is stuck in a very unhealthy pattern in their life. Let's say that you have a friend who is being abused by uh, her husband. And I mean, we're talking verbal abuse. Physical abuse. This guy is just a jerk. And so you work everything out for her and said, hey, listen, you need to leave that house if you're being abused. That's just not right. You've got to get out of the house. And so you set it up. And what happens? She doesn't want to go. And you're thinking, what? why is that? I mean, I've set it all up for you. And, and why would you want to stay in that particular situation. Well, she wants to stay in that particular situation because she feels secure there. Yeah, we, we, we like security, of course, and therefore we'll stay in an addiction, a certain lifestyle, a certain relationship because we know what that's like. We know what it's like to be abused by... Our, our husband, wife, and, and again, if we step out of that situation, even though it might be painful, we have no idea what we're stepping into, right? So when you talk to people and you just lay it out and say, hey, do something here, and they don't do it, it's because they're fearful of what might happen when they take that step away from whatever's unhealthy in their lives. 
that's so important to understand because <laughs> you can get really frustrated when you're trying to help somebody out and they just don't want to move with you. So again, the Israelites are saying, we want to go back to Egypt. At least we knew what life was like. We were born into slavery and at least it was predictable. But now you've got us out here on this beach and we're about to be killed. Fear causes us to be short-sighted. Causes us to be short-sighted. Again, when fear is controlling our minds, uh, we tend to turn in on ourselves. Uh, we tend to only think about ourselves, right? I mean, it's hard to help other people and encourage other people when we're always thinking about how I'm going to solve this problem. I love this Charlie Brown cartoon. I developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I'd say the majority of people live with a certain level of fear that they just don't like. And again, that's why we need to address this. In verse 12, it says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Again, they were short-sighted. You see, when you're full of fear, the last thing is you're thinking about the future, right? I don't, I don't think about the future. I've got to handle right now what's happening this day. And therefore, what happens is, is you become paralyzed by this fear. And all the opportunities that God has for you, all the new things that he wants to do in your life, they can't save because you've narrowed your focus so tightly on whatever that fear might be. And that's, again, how do we get out of that is the question. Well, Psalm 34.4 gives us the answer. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Well, that's a great verse to memorize and something that you can refer to, uh, knowing that that is the answer. We have fear. We have uncertainty in life. So, therefore, the only way really to solve it is to trust our sovereign God, and submit to his will. We, we as Christ followers, for people who have claimed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, we, we have the most unbelievable gift in that we can be going through life and all types of things can be happening, and, but we know that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God is hurting along with us, and that he's going to take care of things. And that's hard. But again, that's what we continue to learn as we grow as disciples. So how do we respond to fear? The first thing you need to do, go, do is let go of fear. You know, we're holding on to fear, and we think we're controlling it in our own way, but we're paralyzed. What we need to do is open up and let God deal with it. Exodus four thirteen. 14, 13, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never 
see again. I love the way that Moses addresses them. Obviously, they're, they're, they're terrified. They're not thinking straight. And Moses knows that. He knows that they don't, you know, they're fearful. And so what does he say? He says, fear not. You know how many times in Scripture we see the phrase fear not? 365 times. That's one time for every day of the year. <laughs> because God knows that's what we tend to do. We tend to be captured by fear. And then Moses says, stand firm. What does that mean? Well, it means stand firm. What do we typically do when we're fearful? We run around in circles, right? Our mind is going a 1,000 miles an hour trying to manage our fears and that type of thing. And God is saying, no, don't go running around. Your chicken with their head cut off. Just stand firm. And let me work in your life and to see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. So Moses is saying, hey, you guys are going to see a great miracle. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And that makes no sense to them whatsoever. They're right there. What are you talking about? And that's the nature of the Christian life, is that you're caught in a fear. It's paralyzed you. And God says, trust me, let go of that fear. And every being, every part of your being is saying, no, I don't want to let go of that fear. Because if I do, I will be out of control. Well, that's true. Because God wants to be in control. 1 Peter 5, 7 is a cherished verse among Christ's followers. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. You've been a Christ follower for any length of time. You know that verse. Another cherished passage is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. So that's what we're to do when we're in fearful situations. We're to give our fears to God so that He can carry that for us, so that, that He can carry that burden, so that we can trust in Him that somehow, some way, He's going to get us through this situation. Another beautiful verse, comfort your soul, is Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. And He delivered me from all my fears. Right there. That's the answer, right? If I'm fearful, what do I do? I seek after God, and I talk to Him about my fears. And I say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Please, would you provide for me? Second way to respond to fear, first of all, you let go, give it to God, and then you look up, you look up. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp 
in front of Piharath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, this was earlier in the chapter. So, what's the point? God put them in that situation. God had it planned out. There was a purpose that God had. And you say, why in the world would God want to put us in a situation where we're full of fear? Because he loves us. And he wants us to trust in him. He wants us to depend upon him. You know how it's like. Life's going great. You don't think much about God. But soon, boom, as pain comes in and fear, uh, we start thinking about God because we can't handle this. Uh, Laura uh, Jackson, uh, who used to be here with her uh, husband, uh, John was our music uh, director. She struggles with migraine headaches. I mean, all the time. And I was talking to her mom and her sister and after the service, and they're saying, yeah, she's really in a good place because she's accepted that this is what's going on. This is her life right now. And so she's no longer, again, trying to control it per se, but she's accepting it, and she has that incredible peace of God which transcends all understanding. And it's... I've ministered throughout the years. I'm just amazed at what people have gone through, how they have suffered, how everything has gone haywire. But they say to me, in the midst of that, I felt closest to God. If I wouldn't have gone through that experience, I would not be where I'm today. I was talking with another woman. Uh, who lost her job in her 60s, and she and her husband. I mean, it was really a very challenging situation. I mean, I've lost my job. I'm this age. What am I going to do? But again, she says, during that period, and she's been a Christ follower for many, many, many years. During that period, okay, I grew closer to Jesus than I've ever been. It's just changed my relationship with God. And I just want to encourage you. In the midst of the situation, the pain, the confusion, just keep turning to God. Keep trusting in Him. You see, God guides us, and then He provides So God wants to guide you through the storm that you're in. And if you do follow him, if you do trust in him, he is going to provide what you need to deal with whatever hardship is in your way. You've got to remember that. God guides and God provides. Let's say it together. God guides... And God provides. Yeah, we're going to have a wonderful uh, testimony at the end of the message uh, about how God worked an incredible, incredible miracle in a woman's life.
Then he goes on. For Pharaoh will say of the people, and God's predicting all this, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So Pharaoh knows what's happening. He knows that they've gone into a cul-de-sac and they're camped there, and he can take them down. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, that's an interesting thing, right? God sovereignly hardened his heart, as he did with some of the plagues. He's in total control. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. This is so important for us to be reminded of. The reason that we have hardship, the reason that life seems to be collapsing around us sometimes or we're overcome with a certain situation is because God wants to show his power. God wants to glorify himself through us. That's the whole point. And when you're going through a hard time and and God comes through and everything, the whole point of that was to give glory to God. And that's why I always encourage people Whatever you've learned from, from the pain that you've gone through in your life, tell it to other people. Tell it to other people. Let them know that God has worked through you in the great thing that he has done. So the whole reason for the fact that the Israelites were fearful was so that God could be glorified, so he could do a miracle. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. We constantly talk about this because it's the thing we struggle with the most. We need to see life from God's perspective. Many times we go along with our culture and these bad things shouldn't be happening to us and I thought the Christian life was going to be easier and those type of things. But you've got to see the big picture. That we're only here for a, a short period of time relatively. And God wants to grow us. God wants to mature us. That's his primary goal. In order that we uh, might grow in holiness, that we might be more like him. And if you have that perspective, it can help you view your life in such a different way. You can have a biblical worldview. I like this. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Silent? (laughs) I don't do anything? Well, yeah. (laughs) You stop running around. Start trying, stop trying to tear your hair out, and you just are silent before him and listen to him. And that's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to slow down and listen to God or talk to him or anything like that because we're always driven by our fears, and I've got to do something about it to resolve it. And God is saying, no! You be silent in my presence. 
And you watch me fight. You watch me show up. As I scan the crowd here, I can see so many families, individuals, and I know what you've gone through. And you've told me, you've glorified God and said, yeah, I thought my life was over, but then everything turned around and God showed up. Being still before God. Casting your anxiety upon him. Last thing you need to do is launch out. Launch out. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. (laughs) You see, as you look at this, okay, you let go. I trust you, God. You look up and you focus on God. You focus on Him. You know, we, we get to choose what we think about every day. You know that? You're saying, well, no. No, thoughts just come in. Well, if you do that, it's dangerous. <laughs> you can choose what to think about. You can choose to trust God. There's a stimulus and there's a response. And then you have a choice. Are you going to go the usual way of fear? Or are you going to trust God? That's a lifelong thing that we all deal with. We've got to keep continue to turn to him. So God is saying, get going. We've talked about this. I've explained it to you. Now you need to take that step of faith. You need to risk You need to go toward the Red Sea and see what I do. He said to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now that that took some faith on Moses' part, right? So if I lift my staff and stretch out my hand, then... The sea's going to divide. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Now, he had a choice. He could say, I'd rather do something else. Let's go another strategy. But again, God puts us in those tight circumstances, so we really don't have any other choice but to trust in him. Here we have Moses uh, in the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. Uh, And here he is. He's taking a step of faith. He's... He's moving into his fear. What we tend to do is, you know, try to get away from our fears. But, again, we need to move into the fear and say, okay, God, this is my fear. I'm trusting in you, and I'm going to keep taking those steps of obedience. Now, this next picture is, uh, might be you. Right? Right? Yeah, I mean, if the tortoise is going to get anywhere, what does he need to do? Stick his head out. Right? See what's out there. But so many of us, when we're burdened, just pull in. We don't want to talk to people. We just want to stay as safe as we can in the situation. But God is saying, no! You need to have Faith. I was talking with a young couple out here, and he was telling me about that he just got a promotion. And he was kind of struggling. And she said, okay, I'm going into a whole new job. It's all new risks. 
uh, great opportunities, but I ha- I'm going to have to act differently. And, of course, you know, obviously you want to stay the way you are. But at the same time, if you are going to be promoted, if you are going to experience life in a new way, you've got to take a risk. Take a risk with God and put your head out and keep moving forward. It's interesting about our fears. 60% are unfounded. 20% are already behind us. 10% don't make a difference anyway. Not significant. 5% of them are real, but you can't do anything about them. And 5% you can do something about. Now, we just waste all of our energy trying to control 60% of our fears. And again, if we would just give it to God, it would free us to, again, be led by God and to glorify God in ways that we never imagined. Luke 11, 9, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You've got to take that step of faith. That's, a, that's an action verb, right? That's an active verb. You've got to move forward. You've got to get out of the situation you're in. And some of you are there. You're right at your Red Sea, and... And you're afraid. You're afraid, well, what if I, you know, deal with that addiction and stop letting it ruin my life? And what if I change that relationship? What if I go out and find a new job? Whatever it might be, you've got to take the step of faith in order for God to honor it. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. What an incredible miracle to happen. I look these things up, and one thing I found, well, we've, we found this weather phenomenon that would have, uh, you know, caused the Red Sea to divide. Come on! You're talking about God! <laughs> Who needs to explain it? Well, that's what we want to do, right? Well, did it really happen? Uh, yes! He can do that easily. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand, and on their left, <laughs> it was a long walk. And they got in there, and they're just amazed. <laughs> they're looking, and they're saying, oh. It's kind of like Peter. Remember when Peter was on the boat, and he wanted to come out and see Jesus? and said, Jesus, come on out. And Peter focused on Jesus, and he was able to walk on water in the midst of this storm. Well, remember, though, what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus, right? And the fear started to settle in. Thinking, what in the world am I doing? He started to sink, and Jesus saved him. That's such an encouraging story, right? Because we all do that. You know, we, we take that step of faith, and it's going all right, but then again, those fears are moving in. And if your life... uh 
is in a bad spot right now, and you're pursuing Jesus Christ, you're seeking to live for him, you're depending upon him, you are in the best place you can be in the middle of the chaos you're in. Because you're in the center of God's will. You're in the center of God's will. He's going to teach you things that you couldn't have learned before in other situations, and he's going to get the glory. Well, let's talk about uh, an example of how this really can happen. Emily Erickson's going to come out at this time, and she has an incredible story of how God did a miracle in her life. So, forklift up here? Yeah, um, I was at work, and I was fixing on that truck, and I made a mistake, and it slipped down, and it fell on top of me and crushed me half to death. It tipped up on its nose the entire way to the truck. It's heavier than it looks. And um, so when this thing was on top of me, some guys saw what happened, and they all ran over, and they pushed the truck off of me, and then they called 911. And um, so I got an ambulance ride that day. And so I get to the hospital. They unload me out of there. And the doctor says, what brings you here? And I said, oh, a forklift fell on top of me. And she kind of looks at me crazy because I didn't look too bad. And she says, do you have any symptoms? And I said, yes, my back really hurts. So they took an x-ray. Now, I'm not a doctor, but when I saw that x-ray, I was like, hey, am I supposed to be paralyzed? Because I can feel my legs. And she's like... Yeah, no, that's an act of God. And I said, no, seriously, I can move. And I'm like doing this and I'm wiggling my toes. And they're like, okay, that's an act of God. Please stop doing that. And so the surgeon came in and he looked at it. And when he saw me move my feet, he almost fainted. He said, it's an act of God. So they had, they did surgery, obviously. And then in about five days, I got discharged from the hospital and I was sent to a rehab center nursing home where I was given a very grim prognosis about my life. I was told I'm going to need an occasional wheelchair. I'm going to need a walker, cane. I'm not going to be able to do stairs. I'm going to have constant pain for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be the same as I used to be. And I kept saying, no, that's not true because Jesus touched me. He's going to heal me all the way. I don't know exactly what my future holds, but I know it's going to be okay. And I kept saying that, and it got, like, I don't need this walker. And it got to the point where they thought I was delusional, like I was in some kind of deep denial and I wasn't accepting what happened. But I knew exactly what happened. I've been touched by God. That's what happened. And so 10 days after going into that rehab center, I walked out of the rehab center to be discharged without a cane, no limp. When I was in there, against all legal advice, I called my boss at work. And I said, hey, I know you're a good Christian man. you got a burden for your employees, and you're probably very worried about me that I'm disabled for the rest of my life. I want you to know that's not true. I want you to come to the hospital and see me walk. I don't want you to just listen to me say I can walk because you're going to be thinking that I have a limp. I want you to see it for yourself. So come to the hospital. And he did. And when he saw me walk, stand up by the wheelchair unassisted, he was impressed. He said, I've never seen a miracle like this. I'm overjoyed. So... I get home, and it seemed like it was forever, but it wasn't that bad, really. It was like a little over a year and a half. And after I got my second surgery, all the pain in my back went away. And I started to rebuild my strength, and the doctor cleared me to lift 60 pounds. So at this point, I can take 60 pounds up off the ground. I can pick it up and lift it up over my head and put it on a shelf. And I went up to my boss when I got that clearance, and I showed him, look, I can lift 60 pounds. I can come back to work. Now, if you don't take me... I understand. I'm not going to sue you guys. Jesus healed me. I can, I'm sure he can figure out the job thing. But if you'll take me, I'll come back. And he says, I've never seen a miracle like this. God obviously loves you. 
I'll take you back. And they made accommodations. They took me back as a mechanic, not sitting behind a desk, not in an office. They made me a mechanic where I picked up my tool bag and I went over to the trucks and I fixed the trucks. Amen. The moral of the story is the laws of this universe and the world as we know them are a suggestion to God at the best. Whatever he says is. There's no vote. If he says two plus two equals fish, you got to fish. <laughs> Amen. Now, do you share this story with other people? Every day that I leave the house since I left the hospital. Wow. I shared it all over the place at the hospital. Yeah. I kept telling them, look, God did this for me. God did They thought I was crazy. The only people that didn't think I was crazy was the chaplain. that's a miracle let's praise God for that huh wow amen well Emily uh, it's a perfect illustration of how God works the last thing you wanted was a forklift to drop on you Uh, but it happened and he chose to heal you uh, he chose to heal you. But the best part of it is you continue to tell the story. That's what God wants us to do. After we've been through something like that, he, we've been through a test, we need to give a testimony. And, and that is such a beautiful uh, thing about you. You just keep telling people about how great God is. And uh, this story has changed so many people's lives. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are amazed this morning, as we hear Emily's story, it does not make any sense. It really doesn't. Only you, only you could have healed her back. And Lord, I just pray that's an encouragement to friends here. I know it is to me. No matter what's going on in my life, you are in control and you think about it, Emily went through, you say, well, my problem isn't as bad as that. <laughs> God will still work and God will still move in your life if you trust him. Thank you, Lord, for doing this miraculous work. And we give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's thank Emily. Thank you, Emily. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) It's so wonderful to be a part of a church family because you hear these stories from other people uh, and you see what God can do and, and then you say to yourself, well, God could do that for them. I think he could do this for me. It builds our faith as we hear these stories. And I pray that we just continue to grow strongly as your disciples. And uh, just help us to trust in you. In Christ's name, amen.